As I say, my name is Ken Kavright, um, I'm the Chief Executive of ADHD Island. I've been in the role for about five years, and Henry is our chair, which does an opportunity job then. And so what we're going to do tonight, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to have a chat about what is ADHD and what it is, because there's lots of myths out there about the condition. So we're going to nail a few of those. We're going to talk about supporting a child or a young person with ADHD. But I'm sure there's a few adults here tonight as well with the condition, so we won't be leaving adults out as well. We'll be sort of 50-50 talking about adults and children at the same time. And a little bit about what ADHD is, and what we do and who we do it for. And just say, can everybody see the screen? Big screen. My television home. Just about the same size. <laughs> How I can. One of the things we talk about in ADHD is the impulsivity. And that's one thing I have to say, but I have to say it now. And we talk about why that happens with ADHD a little bit later on. But if the talk comes into the mind of someone with ADHD, they know if you don't get it out now, it'll be gone. So if you have any questions, don't feel you have to wait for the very, very end of the presentation. Put your hand up and we'll answer it there and there. If I say to you that's a really, really great question, I don't know the answer to that, I'll do it at the end. Okay? So any questions, any time, please just come with me. Imagine if every child and young person in Ireland was growth as part of the community where they could find experience, inclusion, creativity, diversity, and empowerment. And this is actually from uh, Music Generation. So I did talk about Music Generation O'Leary about a year ago. So I went on their website and I got this picture. This is what we want for children with ADHD as well. It's a very, very simple statement of just what we want. So just very quickly, just in a bit of transparency, how does everything get paid for? Uh, so we're what's called Section 39, uh, which means uh, I am funded by the HSE, but I work for ADHD. So I'm just that one step removed. So I can be critical of the HSE, and I have been critical of the past of the HSE. So, and we also get some grants, and, and we do beyond events, and we get uh, speaking fees. So Susan's kind enough to give us a, a small donation to talk to you tonight. So just the thing, who are ADHDI, we are a charity. As I say, we were founded in 1980. Uh, so what happened at that stage was a group of parents came together. There was nothing in Ireland for their children at the time. So they came together uh, and they started on a kitchen table in Stavogan. And um, I've been out there and I've had to see at that uh, kitchen table once upon a time. So and I'm sure we can talk to Stephanie and she can bet this table anytime you Our mission is to make life better for all people affected by ADHD. The reason I put that in bold is all people affected by it. So we're talking about people who are directly affected by ADHD, those with condition cells, children, parents, adults. But we say all affected by it. We also talk about the teachers that work with We talk about the GPs that work with them, the psychiatrists, and other people like that as well. So we walk across, walk across a wide spectrum of everybody who's affected by ADHD. <coughs> So here's the main area we're going to talk about in ADHD. So it's a neurodevelopmental condition. We're going to talk about the three behaviors and attention, impulsivity, and activity, and a little bit of executive functioning, memory, and emotional dysregulation. When you get all those together, that's the big picture for what is ADHD. So an overview. Um, ADHD is an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Nobody on this planet likes the name. It has two deficits in it. Attention deficit. Hyperactivity disorder. It's a deficit and disorder. It's actually neither. And as we go through, we'll explain to you why the name is incorrect. It's estimated the five 
to affect 5% of children. 5% is 1 in 20. I mentioned this statistic a couple of times going forward. 5% is 1 in 20. The average class size is 9 to 25 to 30, which means there's always going to be, probably statistically, one child with ADHD in every classroom. When you look at 5% of the population, you're looking at about 230,000 people. Now, we usually say that's enough to fill Crow Park three times. So, Crow Park, he's finished Crow Park, or filled Crow Park five times. We could fill ADHD three times. So, there's a lot of people out there with conditions. One of the things to just to recognize in terms of the breakdown. Oh, oh, I'm scratching my eyes. Pay attention to everything. Yeah. Um, nothing gets by these. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as we were saying, it's 230,000 people and 5% of the population. In the literature, it says 3% of adults. Where did the 2% go? You talk about it in your neurodevelopment condition. So, you're born with ADHD, it affects you across your entire lifespan. You die with ADHD. So what you find is some people learn to manage some parts of their ADHD so that they no longer meet what's called the clinical criteria. So that means when they go to the clinician, they say, no, you don't have ADHD. The important thing is that is that they put in strategies and hints and tips and things like that across their lifespan so that they no longer need it. They're working on it every day. So we would say it's 5% of children, 5% of adults, 230,000 people, enough to feel comfortable. As I say, the continuous rattle and comorbidity, that's a terrible word, we don't like it. Uh, so what we're talking about there is coexisting conditions. ADHD rarely travels along. There's usually something else that goes along with it as well. And we talk about it with that. Very quickly, I'm statistical manual. So this is the playbook produced by the American Psychiatric Association, generally regarded as the Bible. So ADHD is listed in it as a condition. Now the reason I make that very, very bold statement that it's listed as a condition, because to be honest, 30, 40 years ago, people thought it was the real condition. That was made up. It was a naughty child syndrome. It was caused by bad parenting. It was an invention of the American Pharmaceutical Society to sell more drugs. We now know, we'll talk a little bit about the science in a minute, it's a real condition. We need to recognise the role of genetics. ADHD tends to what we call run in families. ADHD tends to have a heritable uh, rate of about 90%. So a quick question on anybody in genetics, what's the most common uh, transferable trait by the human genome? Height. What's the second most common trait in the human genome? ADHD. ADHD runs in families. So again, if you have a or a child or a daughter with ADHD, probably one of the parents. If it's not one of the parents, it's not one of the grandparents. If it's not one of those looking at Mary and Uncle Jane, whatever it happens to be, ADHD tends to run in families. Now that's important. We say that's important for teachers. And we're talking to GPs. Now, when you're dealing with a child who may have ADHD, you're probably talking to a parent who also has ADHD, but is probably undiagnosed. Remember earlier we talked about the diagnostic rates, and we'll go through that in a second. The prevalence rate for that is about 3 to 5%. Of the 3 to 5% of children and adults who are diagnosed, how many actually have official diagnosis? 
we don't know, the HSE don't know. So I got on the phone and phoned everybody who might have an idea about it, and we came up with a figure that's somewhere between 20 to 50 percent. So if there's 60,000 children in Ireland today with the condition, probably 20 to 30 have an official diagnosis, but more than likely 30 to 40,000 don't. There's more children out there with undiagnosed ADHD than there is children with diagnosed ADHD. For adults, it's even worse. When people were my age, they simply didn't get the diagnosis. Yes, they probably 10%. So if you talk about 170,000 adults, you're looking at approximately 150,000 adults who don't have the diagnosis. So there's an awful lot undiagnosed ADHD out there in the adult population of the people If most of the commonly diagnosed pre-adolescents, so we're talking about pre-adolescents there, the ages of 8 to 12. However, in that age range, it's diagnosed at a rate of 4 to 1 boys versus girls. This is, tends to be important. This goes back to the, what's the misconception of what people think ADHD is. We mentioned there it's genetic. So it's 50% boys, 50% girls. So why do boys get diagnosed four times more often than girls in the age range of 8 to 12? It goes back to the common conception of what ADHD is. That is boys bouncing off the walls. So the boys get seen. You mentioned that fact I was talking to earlier about the classroom size and one in 20. And there's probably one in every classroom. So what you find is that you know we all love our children, we all think they're brilliant, we all think they're wonderful. And what they do at home is what they do at home. It's when they go into the social setting of the school that the behaviours then look different to the other 25 children that are in the classroom. So then the teacher is bringing the child up by the hand at the end of the day, and anybody who's been in school, they probably have this. Teacher's bringing them out. Johnny was a little bit difficult at school today. Then they say, maybe it's ADHD, and they go off. Nobody, particularly teachers, are not noticing the girls. Girls then have often called more in the tent of ADHD. And so that means they're being dreamy, daydreamy, shy, but they're not causing a problem. They're not getting picked up. Girls get picked up later, um, but certainly in the younger age ranges, boys, because they're bouncing off the walls, get picked up. But that's what people expect to see when they talk about it. As you say, it can now be uh, into adulthood, and now adults can be diagnosed as well. Are we ready for the science? <laughs> Are we ready for a bit of science? Yes. Yes. I started this job, as I say, five years ago. Um, I didn't know what the word etiology meant, to be honest, so I had to go right into the definition. So it's the cause, center causes, or manner of causation of a disease or condition. So what are the causes of ADHD? You don't need to worry too much about this. <coughs> um, a normal dopamine signal in the frontal cortex, and the deficiency of noradrenaline in the reticular activating system. People with ADHD have a different brain wire. The brain just works a little bit differently. It's not better or worse. It's just different. People with ADHD have a brain that works differently than those who don't have ADHD. So how do we know this? So there's been some work done in terms of brain imaging. Um, and actually, before I was here, I was in DCU, we we're going to start a new research project um, on measuring this, so we're looking at uh, new ways to do this. So what you do is get ECG caps, you put them on people. So you put them on people with ADHD, you put them on the relatives, you put them on people 
group controls. You show them a particular stimulus and see what part of their brain lights up. So what you find is here, and they show them one part of the brain lights up, a different part of the brain lit up for realms of control. What does this mean? So the brain of a person with ADHD is not engaged in activity. It appears to go in what's called a drowsy energetic state. Not enough new exciting input from the environment. So this is one of the four myths we're going to kill tonight when we talk about ADHD and lack of focus. It's not a lack of focus. People with ADHD have the same ability to focus as anyone else. It's the inability to retain attention as the key thing. So what we're talking about here is when the brain is not engaged in activity, it appears to go into a drowsy energetic state. So we've got drowsy and energetic, a little bit contradictory there. So what am I talking about? Someone with ADHD is looking at something, they're not finding it interesting, they're not finding it exciting. The brain says, go and find me something else. And then it goes on to that, and then it finds that interesting for a little bit of a period of time. Then it says, I'm not finding this interesting anymore, go and find me something else. So what you find is someone with ADHD, the attention tends to move all over the place. So it's not that they can't focus on anything, it's just the attention tends to be across a wide range of things. So the key myth is that people with ADHD can't focus, that is incorrect. That goes back to the main attention deficit, not a deficit. People with ADHD have the same level of focus as anyone else. It's just the inability to retain attention is the key driver on that. So what I want to do is just chat for a couple of minutes about the three behaviours. Now we've moved away from the model of looking at ADHD as a set of behaviours to more around the neurodevelopmental and the brain structures and the neural pathways, but it's just a good way to describe the condition, a bit of a shorthand way to do it. So the first one is say is difficulty sustaining attention. You will remember I mentioned earlier the DSM-5. So this is a straight copy and paste. And um, if anybody forgot to just mention there, I will send the presentation on to Susan afterwards, so if you want to take notes now, please do. Uh, but I will give you a copy of the presentation so you can have it by email afterwards. Uh, first, to give close attention to details, it makes careless errors in school or group activities. Yeah. What's 10 by 12 to 120? The child with ADHD says, this is not interesting, I'm looking at something else that is. So it writes down 121. So it's making careless errors in the that. Difficulty organizing tasks or activities. And again, think of getting out of the house in the morning. What are the 20 things you need to do? Not necessarily in order. Get out of the bed, take your pajamas off, make your bed, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, have your breakfast, get your school bag ready. It's Tuesday, bring your PE gear. There's other 20 things to go with that as well. Get your clothes raining. So people with ADHD, because they may mind going off focus, don't always get good at that. Avoid the reluctant to engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort. So, the maths home. Those things like that that require sustained mental effort. The brain is going off saying, find me something else that's interesting. So they find it difficult to focus on things like that. This is just to give the point. It's the A, not the H, that causes difficulty across the lifespan. Remember we mentioned earlier it was 5% of children, 3% of adults. What they learn to manage is the impulsivity and the hyperactivity. It's the attention deficit part that will cause the difficulty across the lifespan. So this is just to give you an example of this. So there was a study done in the UK, and um, all the children went into primary school, and um, they tracked them across at the very start, gave them scores for their activity, or their hyperactivity, their impulsivity, their attention deficit. When they finished primary school, they repeated the tests. And what they found is 
that interchangeable was statistically significant, insignificant and negatively associated with academic achievement. And hyperkinemia was statistically insignificant and impulsivity, I will to give it a go, was actually positively associated with academic achievement at the end of the day. So it's the A, not the H, that causes the difficulty across the website. So impulsivity. Sorry, did you get your name? You have to, you can see the back of Lisa. I can see Lisa's face from here. I can see a look of pure hatred in Lisa's face. <laughs> <laughs> going, I didn't come to this talk. I know he's from the north side. This is worse. I haven't sit here and listen to a north side and talk about something I want to do. I'm going to go over there and smack him. But Lisa doesn't. Why didn't Lisa get up and smack him? Everything in their head is telling them to go over and smack him. Executive function. Executive function is that little thing in the brain that says, hmm, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe we'll think about this for half a second. People with ADHD have zero or very low executive function. And this is around the impulsivity. So they can be very excitable, blurts out, and there's a trouble taking turn. I have to say, and I have to say it now. When you add the attention deficit, the talkings into the mind, people from practice with ADHD know this is going to happen. Thoughts come in, and if I don't say it now, it's gone. Which is why I'm saying, Jerry, if you have any questions, ask them. Because they'll be gone. We talk about children having ADHD and parents also having it as well. So, issues excitable, working out the answers, trouble taking turns, interrupts of others, hard time resisting temptation. And this can lead to social difficulties. So, what you find is for children with ADHD, because of their natures, they're very good at getting into social groups and peer groups, but because of these types of behaviors, they can be ostracized from them just as quickly. So, what you find is for ourselves, and we would often say about ADHD, the biggest difficulty with ADHD is not the ADHD itself, but it's low self-esteem and the stigma that goes along with the condition that causes the good problem. Just in terms of a quick exercise on executive function, um, I regard executive functions like the air traffic controllers in Dublin Airport. Uh, for those of you that haven't been there, it's on the north side of the city. <laughs> the air traffic controllers saying, I want this plane to come in, I want this one to stop, I want you to go taxi in the back, I want you to take off. There's someone there managing everything. The regulator. Executive control is like the regulator of the thing. So I want you to just take 10 seconds, close your eyes if you don't want to do it. But think about what Dublin Airport would be like if it continued to operate, but the air traffic controllers took the day off. I'm sure most of you are imagining chaos. Lots of things flying around, literally flying around. That's what it's like having ADHD all the time, every day. ADHD is very, very tiring. People with ADHD, no one of them has gone off focus. You know, they're sitting in front of the teacher. And they always have to be back up. So what you find is it's very, very difficult having ADHD as a condition itself. And as I say, I have to say it, and I have to say it now. And this is very simple, hyperactivity, on the go, driven by a motor. So if you have a child with ADHD, that's where you can get this idea that the common uh, exception or view of ADHD, the 10-year-old boy is bouncing off the walls. On the go, driven by a motor, talking, assessing, all those kinds of things. I want to mention RSD, 
It's not in the DSM-5, but when you talk to lots of people with ADHD, this is one of the things that they mention. One of the big difficulties about that. So, rejection sensitive dysphoria. We talk about regulation. So we talk about the regulations of thoughts, words, thoughts, deeds, and emotions also have to be regulated. So what happens to an emotion when it comes into your brain that doesn't get regulated? It builds and becomes more intense. So what you find is for people with ADHD, emotions are much more intense than those that don't have the condition. So what you find is because of that impulsivity, when they have the emotions that they get more intense, people with ADHD will go from zero to 100 in a click of a line. So this is what that is, and because it is, people with ADHD can be very sensitive uh, to negative comments. They take it, it doesn't get regulated, it builds up, it goes big. So they get very, very happy, but they also get very sad, they also get very, very angry as a condition. So just in terms of this, you know, up to 99% of teenage adults identify as being more sensitive than usual to rejection, and one in three say it's the hardest part of living with ADHD. No, I don't have ADHD myself, but I would run the adult support group, I've been doing that for five years, and genuinely, that's what we're talking about. The rejection symptoms is sorry. Why is it not recognised? It's the same people that called it a disorder in the first place. We're getting there. We're on DSM-5, and DSM-4 didn't have an you know, ADHD in it. It improved the habit in DSM-5, DSM-6 might have. There is a lot of work out there to improve it, but at the moment, um, I'm mentioning because you know, every time we talk about it, I'm talking about associations around Europe and the world, they mention it too. Um, I think it'll be in the next DSM, or DSM-6 when they get to it. Well, just not now, it's on the way. Let's say I was written in DSM-4, now DSM-5, things are changing. So if you ever want to know what my brain is like, Imagine having 239 tabs on your computer all the time. That's like a plane flying all around the place. Every tab on the computer is open. That's why it's very, very difficult having that in your brain all the time. So that's where the challenge comes in having ADHD. We'll skip to the skip the data. We've talked a lot about the challenges that goes with the condition. What about the positives? People with ADHD are very imaginative. You've probably heard the sign of the saying with ADHD, uh, Ferrari brain plus the brakes. But let's talk about the Ferrari brain part. We talked about there that the attention goes very quickly from item to item. That's the Ferrari brain. Someone with ADHD will have more ideas before breakfast and the rest will have all day. Creativity is simply being decided or defined as the ability to go through nine or twenty nine solutions to get to the thousand. If you have an ADHD brain, you can do it quicker than anyone else. People with ADHD tend to be very creative, tend to be very imaginative, visual, open-minded, fun-loving, artistic, creative, sense of passion. There's lots of things that goes with the condition that when used and managed properly, can be seen as positive. So just taking the example here, your children, they move on into the workforce. Why do I say that ADHD can be valued in the workplace? We talked about the creativity just there. People with ADHD want to be very creative. Generally, naturally, goes I talk to an awful lot of people in the creative industries. Anybody in the creative industries, you know, designers, dancers, musicians, whatever happens to be, comedians, 
and we'll talk about ADHD, is the creative fuel. It's the petrol creative industry. That ability to link things together quickly, the ability to move ideas around very quickly. So you find people with are in which are very creative movements. We talk about that brain working from one eye to one eye to one eye. People with ADHD love flexibility, a variety. So people with ADHD are good at multitasking. Give them three or four things to do. Don't give them one. Give them three or four things to do at the same time. It's worked better. Because of the impulsivity, we talk about that, you know, I have to do it, I have to do it now. While the rest of us are forming a committee, the person with ADHD just goes and does it. They have that lack of, to say, when people say they evaluate the risk and think about it, some of ADHD, because of that lack of thing, just goes and does it. We talked about the hyperactivity, so they're going to have lots of high energy and drive. And there's also something not everybody has, but something called hyperfocus. So when they are actually interested in something, they can knock onto it. And if they can do that, and they can do that for days on end. Now that there can be a negative to that, that you know, they can forget everything else in their lives for those three days. But they, when they do hyperfocus, they can knock onto that. If I used to take the 100 greatest entrepreneurs and stand up here, I bet you everything I have, and if you have as well, at least 50% will have ADHD. So you're looking at employees, you know, good at ideas, happy to work across loads of things, good at taking risks, lots of energy resilience. Why wouldn't you want them in your workforce? Timekeeping. <laughs> That's not one of their skills. Uh, just to forgive me for selling forward, uh, we're doing a talk on neurodiversity in the workplace on the thing where we talk about those type of things and how you make, uh, you, you manage the deficits and deposits to get the best results. So, uh, talk to Susan, we'll hook you up for that one as well. We can, talk, we can talk about lots of famous people with ADHD, so sports people. Uh, Michael Phelps um, holds the record for the most gold Olympics, or gold medals at the Olympics, uh, 23 of them. Quite severe ADHD. I'm not saying at the age of 10 because of the hyperactivity of mother children in swimming pool, but at the age of 10 he was trying to swim up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. 15 years later, 23 gold medals. Simone Biles, you remember her from the Olympics, she won the five uh, gold medals from the gymnastics for the American team. Uh, Michael Jordan, most famous basketball player ever, Greg Lamont, who's just up there uh, in the top of the corner. Just interesting, I have a quote here from him, and I'm going to talk about why this is important. He says, lots of athletes have it, and trust me, lots of athletes do have it, and gold medal Olympic people over index for ADHD. I'm the kind of guy who needs to do something to learn. When I got into cycling, I would say that at the sport itself, at the part of the train, I was able to absorb stuff I read. It changed my life. What he's saying there is movement helps. That's one of the key things with supporting anybody with ADHD. Movement helps. Movement increases the dopamine you mentioned earlier, so if you like the dopamine, movement helps people with ADHD. So whatever the task is, be it your teacher, a parent, or whatever else to be, um, increasing movement helps. So remember we talked about if 5% of children, sorry, 5% of children, 3% of adults, they learn to manage their impulsivity and that hyperactivity. So what you find is adults with ADHD not only have the gym membership, they are the ones that the road machine comes on. People with ADHD don't do marathons, they do ultra marathons. They're finding ways to manage that energy. Thank you. No. <laughs>
So movement is very important for people with ADHD. Um, most families I know with ADHD and have a child or two have a trampoline in the background. So again, movement is important for people with ADHD. That's one of the things we'd like you to take away this evening. As we mentioned, uh, ADHD tends to be the food fuel of great industries. So uh, Will Smith, Jim Carrey, Ryan Gosling, Woody Harrison, and uh, two Justin's, Justin Timberlake, Justin Timberlake. And um, I didn't put Emma Watson up there. Uh, Cara Delevingne, Michelle. I could put you on four or five slides. Famous people you know who are managing their ADHD and are super successful when they haven't managed and sprained properly. And you know, let's frame ADHD. People do talk about the negatives that go with it. So hyperactive, they're energetic, and stay on task. They're going to see connections that they don't. Disorganized, they're spontaneous, inconsistent, they will show flashes of brilliance. They're impulsive, they can be very creative. There is no negative that people talk about ADHD that cannot be reframed as positive. That's what's going back to the point I was making there earlier that. When people talk about ADHD, it can be very negatively, and it's the stigma and the low self esteem that that creates are the biggest challenge. So, when you reframe it into a positive way, and it works better for everyone. Now, <coughs> test time, guys. Are we ready? Sorry, I need to get my phone for this. Very simply, uh, give me two seconds. I have to remember my password. This is going to work well in the paragraph, but we'll do it anyway. Okay, stop watching. What I want you to do is start in the top left-hand corner and read across the lines all the way to the bottom. Now, sorry, the very important thing is you have to do that to that. I have to be able to hear you. Okay, everybody start now. Red, blue, orange, purple, orange, blue, green, red, blue, purple, green, red, orange, blue, red, green, purple, orange, red, blue, green, red, blue, purple. Once you do the same test again, start in the tap, left hand corner, read across all the lines to the bottom. But instead of saying the word, say what color the word is written in. Okay, and we have to do it nice and loud. Starting again, off you go. Yeah. Red, blue, orange, purple, orange, blue, green, red, green, red. executive function. I've asked you to hold two thoughts in your mind at the one time. What's the word and what's the color? People with ADHD will find that test difficult. If you found that challenging, I'll be here after you have a chat. <laughs> That's called what's called the Stroop test. And we talk about working memory and the lack of working memory for people with ADHD. Talk comes into their head. If it doesn't find it interesting, it's gone. And that's what we're looking at there. Executive function of working memory. Just very quickly, um, there's sort of three types of ADHD, what's called subsets, and um, the way medical people present. So, predominantly an intense presentation. So, that's the attention deficit part. So, you can have just attention deficit, no hyperactivity whatsoever, and have ADHD. 
You can also have what's called a predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation, which is all these things here, person fidgets, talks a lot, heart sits, you know, uh, feels restless, trouble with impulsivity. Put that in the bottom line, put it in the bowl. A person with impulsiveness may have more accidents and injuries than others. What do I mean by that? This goes back to the impulsivity, and I have to do it, and I have to do it now. Talk to the Ten-year-old boy stands on the top of the slide, think there's Superman, says, I can jump off the slide. The rest of his executive function go, hmm, that's not a great idea. Child with ADHD, ends up with broken arm, broken leg. So children with ADHD can have more injuries through that lack of impulsivity. So you can have the predominantly hyperactive impulsation, no problem with taking deficit, and have ADHD. However, the most common one is where the two of them go together, and um, equally, so you get an equal presentation, combined presentation, since the two are equally present That's the most common by far. Just some other characters. Uh, we talked about you know the impulsivity there. That leads to the poor internalization of rules of social contact, not taking turns, grand things like that. And interpersonal adjustment problems, difficulty to limit, emotional maturity of the left. This does not get talked about enough. Children, particularly children with ADHD, will have an emotional maturity delay of about 25%. So if you have a 15, 16 year old child with ADHD, they probably have the emotional age of a child of a 13 year old. If you have a 12 year old, they have an emotional maturity delay of an 8 or 9 year old. You need to deal with them at the emotional age rather than the chronological age. What happens is the brain matures up about the age of 25 and goes to get a point and they'll catch up. But up to that point, people with ADHD are going to have an emotional maturity of the day. Teachers need to know that. So what you find is, you know, we're going in September and October now. This is the busy time at our phone line. So what you find is children went into primary school. Primary school tends to be quite a structured environment. Same teachers, same classrooms, same lessons every day. Then they're going into secondary school. Uh, eight different classes, eight different teachers, eight different books. Eight for everything. So we will find that you know, we get tons of calls this time of year from parents saying, child was fine in primary school, things have just fallen apart in secondary So just to bear that in mind. And then they get these teachers looking at and saying, you know, you're in secondary school, stop acting like a baby. But they're 13, 14 years old, but they have the emotional maturity of around the 10 year old. Teachers don't know that and don't teach the children according to their age. So this is one of the things we always talk to teachers about. Is how to manage and work with children who do have ADHD. So we did talk about the word comorbidity, so coexisting. And we talk about neurodevelopment conditions that go with them. So 70 to 80 percent of children with ADHD will have one other condition. 30 to 35 percent will have two other conditions. 10 to 15 percent will have three other conditions. That means they have four conditions. ADHD tends to be what we call a complex presentation. We would always say as ADHD one, it's important to get the assessment done. Because once you get the assessment done, you can pick up what the coexisting conditions are. Because how you support a child with ADHD and dyslexia is not the same as you support a child with ADHD and autism. So you need to know that to get that done. So we would say that an assessment is not a label, it's a signpost. It tells you the services that you need. So again, just to bear in mind, the takeaway from that is that ADHD rarely travels well. So again, 
we talked about Tourette's syndrome, and commonly the misconception around uh, Tourette's is, you know, people sitting there saying use found language. But actually within that, there's something called tics. So again, you see people blinking when they're under stress. That's a tick response. You see people playing with their pens all day. That's a tick response. They're very common and they go with ADHD. Dyslexia is so common with ADHD as well, and vice versa. The amount of times we get called by the parents, because you know, teachers can see dyslexia early on. They can't always see the ADHD, particularly in girls. So, you know, we get loads of calls from parents saying, my child was diagnosed two, three years ago with dyslexia. I think the two have ADHD. Very, very common. And also, oh, we'll talk about that in a second. And all this inspection, that is reverse works as well. And anxiety and depression, that goes back to the stigma around the condition. And unfortunately, you know, that they will have that as well. So lots of things also go with ADHD. We also need to talk about language impairments. Now, when I talk about language impairment, I don't mean that people with ADHD can't talk properly. Yes, they can. It's speech language processing. So they're not able to process the information the same way as anyone else. So, you know, if someone teaches giving an instruction to talk about three or four different things, because the, the brain would be able to child to find it interesting and come off task. So they forgot what A and B was by the time the teacher got to C and D. So children with ADHD can have language processing difficulties. So there's help with that. There's the low self-esteem, there's the poor social skills. Unfortunately, at times, they can get blamed with what the troublemaker or the class clown and things like that. Sorry, can I just ask you this one. Psychologist in America, and I would let her. And she only works with people who have ADHD and are mental. Now, I know she's in regards to bigger population, but there's enough people out there. And just for that, and just in terms of you know, intellectual disability, ADHD is not an intellectual disability. People with ADHD at the same level of IQ, and often more than the average population, it's just how they're taught to learn is incorrect. It's not a difficulty from that perspective. Just a little bit on ODD, which is oppositional directive disorder. And you say stop, I say go, you say black, I say white, whatever the opposite is. Now, this can be a challenge, particularly when they get to teenage years for people with ADHD and they're in school and places like that. Teacher says do this. The first thing that comes into the present frame of ADHD is the opposite. And because of that lack of executive function, and there's no one there to stop it, it just comes out. And that can lead to difficulties. What we'd say just for managing, you know, for teachers or parents, you know, don't take anything personal. It takes two to have an argument. And that's the key thing about having ODD. They want to escalate it. They want to go to the next stage. Finding some way to de-escalate it's always good. Offer a choice where possible now to save face of other peers and think and move yourself. What you can talk about there is finding some way to de-escalate. You know, I'm starting this conversation and walk away. Whatever happens to work for you, if you have a child with ADHD with executive difficulties and has ODD, find some way to de-escalate the problem. Because they're only looking for it. 
take it from that time. They want you to take it from that time. So you gotta find some way of stepping back and some way of estimating. Just on that, is that um, for stimulation? Is that for dopamine? Like, I'm just wondering why they want to take things to the next level. Yeah, that's the other, when you talk about ODD, you also get something called conduct disorder. And they're more behavioural things and they're more alert. Whereas ADHD is neurodevelopment, which is something we're born with. So again, you know, how do you deal with this situation is I escalate. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, that's me. That that's me treated differently, but they can go there because that the lack of executive function. With the the opposite thoughts, and they go, "Yep, that's the one for me." So it's just one of that. As I say, I call this my horror slide. I take all the nasty graphics off it. But we talked about the three percent and five percent for children, five percent adults. What do we know about when it goes into adulthood and it's untreated? We know there's going to be higher rates of marital breakdown. We know there's higher rates of accidents, of car accidents. We know there's higher rates of unemployment. We know there's going to be higher rates of drugs misuse, particularly around alcohol and cannabis, self-medication, because they don't know what the problem is. There's going to be increased um, psychiatry problems around anxiety and depression. As I say, we would run an out of support group. If we got in Europe for every woman that came to the adult support group and said to us, I've been getting anxiety and depression medication for the last 20 years. I've just found out I've had ADHD. And got one euro for that. We wouldn't need for me to HSA. It's just so incredibly common. And to be honest, it's sad. People are getting mistreated and misdiagnosed for a long period of time when they could be getting other treatments that would work better for them. And another one actually goes in there quite forward. And so when it is unmanaged and it is untreated, it can cause difficulties across the rest of the site. Well, the kind of similarities, but again, again, taking an extreme uh, situation like that, by far, where you've got one extreme to the other. And you have elements of PSD in it. Goes back to our mission statement area, we work with all people affected by ADHD. I'm meeting with a psychiatrist next week, so we can build the problems with GPs. I was talking to another GP this afternoon, who's not far from here, and she's putting in a new partner of care into her clinic, and she has a GP clinic, so it's going to be a problem. And it's getting GPs just to understand. This goes back to the point I was saying here about you know, boys versus girls, like that, you know, 12-year-old girl goes in and says, you know, teach me how to care, you know, teach my baby, see? The amount of times the GP looked at her, yeah, she's sitting there fine. Couldn't have ADHD. Unfortunately, there's, you know, I have given you jumping into my big head, but my big head is statistically there to show that, you know, the percentage of GPs don't understand ADHD. It's not as high as you think it is, okay? And go back, and, you know, PSD is one of those things that can get calm over it. And I get this diagnosed as well. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, so we won't go too much into the uh, treatment of ADHD. But there's two sort of main treatments. There's the pharmacological, which is medication, and there's the psychosocial, which is behavior. There's also parental training. And so again, if you're looking for information on how to treat ADHD, there's something called the NICE guidelines, N-I-C-E. And so in Ireland, we don't have an organization for myself. It's the National Institute of Clinical Health and Excellence. 
So what they do is they advise the NHS in the UK on how to assess, treat and manage patients. patients. Google um, nice ADHD for children or for adults and you'll find out what the, your GP knows and your psychiatrist knows on how to manage treatments. So there's information there that do. But one of the things they do recommend for young children is parental training process as a frontline treatment, which is why I put it on. And there's lots of other things that happen there. There's coaching and other things like that as well. Medication does have a part for a lot of people in terms of their treatment for ADHD. Uh, but let's just say I'm not a doctor. One of the things we do talk about ADHD is there's two things. Medication won't solve ADHD. There's an old saying, pills don't fill skills. You need to be, work on the behavioral side of ADHD as well. So this is the, this side of the Some place to like create a routine. Remember we talked about the school there and the difficulties? You do that at home. <coughs> Most families we know with ADHD will have a big whiteboard chart in the kitchen. Lots of stars on it. Creating routines, getting organized. You know, remember those 20 tasks you need to do in the morning? How do you put them in structure? OT is great for people with ADHD because they put in structure for you. So things like that work. And avoiding distractions, you know, turn off the television. That's the mind's going to our focus. If you're talking about something more interesting than television behind you, what's going to win? Television behind you. Limit choices, let's say we talk about the mind here, but also you're offering four different choices. They will have forgotten about the first two choices, but time to get the last two. Keep it simple, black all the way. Change your interaction style, keep it short. Use goals and rewards. There are big books, big books, loving big books written in psychology um, on behavioral management and um, what behaviors go on that. I'm going to use the word bright. If you're a child with ADHD, I'm bright. Find out what they love and use that as their currency. If you tidy your room, you can have an hour on the PlayStation. If you do your maths homework, you can have an hour down the GA. Whatever it happens to be, find their currency and use it as their currency. And probably use it. Um, that's the word goes for one. Probably the word I prefer to use. Discipline effectiveness. What we'd say about ADHD. It's not the severity of the sanction, it's the certainty of the sanction. They need to know, as you're saying there, if you do X, you're going to get Y. And if it doesn't happen, you're not going to get the B. They need to know that it's certainty. So you need to be able to do that. So create that in your mind that if you do something, you'll get the good part, and the sanction is X. So if you do your homework, you're going to have a maths, you know, you're out of that. If you don't do it, you don't get it. They need to know that there's certainty there. It's not so very, it doesn't have to be, you know, we're going to take everything away from for the rest of your life. The ADHD brain tends to be uh, quite short term. So again, you know, in schools when they do these star charts, and you know, if you get something next summer, how does that work? So, reward needs to be immediate, it's actually big. So it doesn't need to be big, it just needs to go to happen. So it's the severity, not the severity, it's the certainty. We're 10 to 8. So, again, we did a webinar last night um, for adults on, you know, ADHD impact relationships. I think that I usually do when I'm doing talk like this. When you talk with teachers, I go for this lady here and say, I want you to pretend you're a 10 year old. And you're in class. Now, what I want you to do is you need to 
questions 1 to 5. In this workbook, I want to know my board of trial, and if it doesn't happen, a shark's going to fucking eat you. And then we go off and do other things, we come back and we do that. So, you know, specific targets and goals, these five questions, this workbook, quarter 12, sharp. But that's how you put it down. Clear behavior and expectations and consequences for important behavior, sharp term conclusion. Someone once said to me, Ken, don't ever say that to an autistic child, because they literally will take the sharks. <laughs> okay, maybe it's not really this exciting, but one of the things you need to do with children with ADHD is create a picture in their mind. Because the mind's working so fast now to something else, you need to create some sort of visual that keeps them on task. So the shark coming over at the ground, you know, works for people with ADHD. Might work for everybody, but it work for people with ADHD. I put in bold the management of non-structure time for wildness. This is particularly important, particularly with children in the fifth or sixth year, and they're doing an evening certificate, and they've got four hours study to do on a Wednesday night or wherever that night happens to be. You need to manage that. It's usually suggested, you know, you probably wouldn't do more than 45 minutes in a block within one hour. So then the 15 minutes that they need to take off, get relaxed, whatever happens to be, do what they like. Find out what they like. And if you don't manage that for them, you know, put their headphones on, go for a walk, get out of the trampoline, whatever happens to be, they might go off focus, they won't get the benefit of 15 minutes, they won't do great the next step further. So you have to manage the non-structured time as much as the, the structured time. For people with ADHD. There's another saying that goes with ADHD, and it's a little bit acronistic, I know, but it takes three people to raise one child with ADHD, two parents, and one good teacher. Find the one good teacher and work with So, our other person here with professional there's always someone out there you need to work with in terms of getting consistency across the lines. We mentioned earlier that they love variety, uh, rewards for good behavior, and pay for success, training the student. Alternative ways to do it, breaking into small tasks, works for people with ADHD, and fidgeting. This goes back to the point I was making about movement. You know, they have that 15 minutes, maybe get them to do some movement, like sit in trampoline. Maybe they need to move during the class. There's no reason why they shouldn't be allowed to move in the class. And our view is that, you know, on any education, so, you know, leader we've talked to, and movement is an important part of any lesson for any child, whether they have ADHD or not. It's just the children with ADHD need to walk. So what you find is when they have those five minutes out in the playground and non-ADHD children walk around, children with ADHD will sprint around. So very, very important to find some way to incorporate movement into whatever they're doing. Yeah, they have to do. So we were talking about the executive function. This remember I'm talking about internalize what's not happening internally. So when I was talking to this lady here and talking about the, the last questions, you know, these five questions, this workbook, quarter, twelve, sharp. The picture wasn't being built, I was using the sharp for that. So you need to find some way to create that picture, because the picture is not being created in the brain of person with ADHD. So you need to be able to externalize what's not So for her, I remember we did these group tests, that's people wanted to go to focus. So it presents question, which is what I did there. I know we're repeating this, but just to get the point across, these five questions, this one won't for the trial shot. So they represent this question. Repetition. So can I ask you what I just told you? The five questions. Yeah. Get them to teach you. Very, very important. That means they have to focus on what they're saying 
And by repeating back to them, you're finishing it. So getting repetition is really, really important. Recall strategy, this goes back to the shark. Find what works for the individual for you. And visualization, once they can see it in their brain, they've got to find some way to help them to get it into their brain. So whatever happens to be, visualization will try. Use of questioning and uh, use of movement. And I put down stalling at the end. This is an interesting one. So what you find is that someone with ADHD will teach Godot and says, tell me about X, or what's the answer to Y? Because the ADHD brain is off somewhere else entirely, it takes a few seconds to get it back in here. So while they're thinking about it, you know, the brain is still working, and because of the lack of regular function, they're probably still talking. You need to give them a couple of seconds just to get their thoughts together, come up with the answer to the question that you just asked them. So bear in mind that, you know, the first 10 seconds might make more sense, but it's all in the way. Just to say to prepare, one of the things about ADHD, you know, life is unpredictable, and everything is unpredictable. And so again, we're going to have good days, we're going to have bad days. If you know you're going to have a bad day, just know it's going to happen. Have a plan in place already, and just stick it. Just be prepared that there is some days, because of the ADHD, because of the ADHD, we're going to have some fun. Just some other tips, and encourage physical exercise, and you know, Movement is your friend. I put that with big capitalism. Lots of movement. Provide a great deal of encouragement and support 20,000. What's the 20,000? It's estimated that a child with ADHD will receive 20,000 pieces of negative stimulus by the age of 12. Put that down, be quiet, stop that, why can't you write the book? Imagine what that does. When we talk about the self-esteem and the low self-esteem, that's what causes it. So just to bear in mind that you know they need a lot of positive encouragement. When we talk about that one good person, that person is always providing the positive encouragement. Great job, well done, keep going. Involved by kids really feel good about the homes. This goes back to the bribery thing I was talking about earlier. They usually have a passion about something. Find out what that is, pay for everything for And present the United Front. Between yourselves, the school, whatever it happens to be. And talk about your experience. Probably about five minutes, guys. And doing all of that. And that's a little bit what we do. So, you know, we're sourcing information for our parents, professionals, groups, and we do parenting courses, lending libraries, we do lots of research, and we do support groups. Always open suggestions. Someone said, why don't you do yoga course for adults? So we did a yoga course for adults. And we also did family course for adults with ADHD and so Always open to new ideas. Just to give a better idea, we're, let's say we're a small organization, we have currently have about five full time staff. And last year we ran 450 events, which is a lot for small staff, to be honest. And so this is just this week, just to give you a flavor. So last night I said we did the webinar and we had a lady called Mr. Orlov, who's from the States of New York, and webinar relationships. And in the macro center in Dublin, one on Great Street, we're currently as running as we speak. We'll have a face-to-face -face adult support group. And we're doing the talk here tonight. Uh, tomorrow night, we've got Parents Plus course starting. And unfortunately, it's also that they tend to sell out very, very quickly. But there is four more for October listed on our website. So if you're looking for parent courses, hop on there. And we'll have a Parents of Adults with ADHD, Jane Turner.
Nicola, who's our head of Sarah Development, what this will not like it, no worship for her. It's parents of children who are aged 18 to 24. And it sells everyone up in advance. People are just loving the service. We do a weekly mindfulness class. And the lady lives in Glass Jewel just down the road from here. And so if you're looking for a mindfulness class every Friday morning, and it's free. Walk on there. We have an online drama class for kids on Saturday mornings. And we have an ADHD support group in Cork. And the next Tuesday we have a, um, our adults and online support group. And I'm calling it the largest um, adult ADHD support group in the world. Not to sort of that differently. And so again, we have about 80 people sign up for it. And about 50 people turn up online. We break it into five different breakout rooms with five different facilitators. So that's on every second Tuesday. And, and then we have a separate support group on for 18 24 year olds, which tends to be students. And so that's just what we have coming up the next week. There's loads more happening there on uh, the website. Obviously, this picture is pre COVID. And we started doing socials for families. Because as we were talking earlier, some parents may be diagnosed. They're having difficulties with their own family. The children are you know, being invited to birthday parties at the play days, whatever happens to be. So we started running social. So, and we did a teddy bear picnic in the Phoenix Park uh, one sunny day back just before COVID. So that's the picture from that. And we've got 25 families, and they went down to Gullamuk, um, which was in Punchestown Racecourse. It was three kilometers. And any of you here like fish families? Yeah, it was like fish families except for kids. And so this is the trading fund families. All happy. You didn't pose this picture. They were out enjoying themselves. Just having fun. So you know, lots of things like that. Work. And we have a support line and people can call us. And we're now getting maybe 25% on email, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. And we're in the car like the center. There is a kitchen, a canteen. Shop every year, you cook coffee, tea, biscuit, whatever you want. We're involved with lots of research. I mentioned we were in DCU this afternoon talking about a big research project on the place here. We're currently doing one of the news on ADHD and sleep for children. And so again, lots of things happening there. And for a small organization, we're quite well connected. And the reason I mentioned this, you know, we're working with UCD an awful lot and Newt University Trinity. And we're doing a big event in Trinity next month on uh, developing research for people with ADHD. And we're part of the Spectrum Alliance, so this is an organization that combines um, Autism Ireland, ADHD Ireland, Dyslexia Ireland, and Dyspraxia Ireland. And we're doing teacher training in and we're part of ADHD Ireland. The reason I mention all those is that if we don't know the answer to the question you have, we know some of the So we can go and find it. This, we put on Facebook and it went viral. <laughs> Sorry to be disappointed, but I can't spike the ADHD out of my child anymore and slap the ignorance out of me. And this goes back to the thing that you know there's misconception of what ADHD and what isn't and what people see about the child. Perceptions, yeah. This goes back to the point I was talking about earlier. So. Um, this is from recent research and it said providing local focus to this global phenomenon. A recent study um, in the Irish Journal of Medical Science concludes, despite the high rates of ADHD among children and the slim majority of Irish GPs have a positive attitude towards ADHD, and this could lead to undiagnosed or misdiagnosed cases. And the researchers questioned 140 GPs, 
of whom only 59% expressed positive attitudes towards ABPP. Does that mean 41% have a negative attitude towards it? Not possible. The same research also showed that they didn't understand what the symptoms are in ADHD, particularly around girls. So we're doing work, uh, you know, we'll be hopefully starting work in the next uh, few months on educating GPs. We work with all the psychiatrists. There's a lack of understanding out there about what is ADHD and what it isn't. We talk about schools, we talk about teachers. And one thing we say about teachers is genuinely we think teachers are wonderful. If I wasn't doing this, I'd love to be a teacher. Teachers study four years to become a teacher. We talk about ADHD having 5%, which is one trend, which means they're more than likely to have a child in the classroom every year as a teacher. You then ask teachers, in your four years of training, how much training did you get to support the one child with ADHD who's always going to be in your class? And I am not giving anything away from here. The answers usually vary from zero to 30 minutes. You now have got more information about ADHD in the last hour than your child seems to got in four years of teacher training. <coughs> Fortunately, that's it. It's changing. I have to say, honestly, it's changing. We now get, we will put you know, training on for about five to 2,000 teachers every year. Schools call us. We started a new program for, you know, how to become an ADHD friendly school. And we tend to uh, schools this year, we have 30 next year. It is changing. But this goes back to the point I was making earlier. The biggest difficulty with ADHD is not the condition itself. It's the stigma and the low self-esteem that comes up. And that causes the challenges. So we would always say to anyone, be they parents, teachers, professionals, if you can be that one person that does something to raise the self-esteem of a child or adult with ADHD, you've done something very, very important. And that's the end of the talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> and if any questions, maybe I'll come back to you. You mentioned the first one was the GP and you have a child presenting us that you think is presenting with ADHD. Like on average, how long was it presenting to see the visual child difference? How long does the diagnosis take? How long does it take for a diagnosis to be made? Um, just to forgive me for setting forward once again, the uh, talking two weeks is there and have to get in there to cast. Um, so again, we're in sort of South County Dublin. The county is called Lucina. Um, there's six different branches of Lucina. Some are better than others. And what we find is, if you take an example of Lindara, which is the camp, which is in sort of West Dublin, 30 to 50% of all children going through CAMS in Ireland are for ADHD assessment. CAMS are underfunded and under-resourced in terms of uh, clinicians. They work on the basis of priority. So again, if someone comes up with an eating disorder, suicide, ideation, or mental health difficulties, they will get treated for the child with ADHD. So generally around the country, obviously I'm not specific to here, year, two years. Unfortunately, is the answer for that. What's that? Child and adolescent mental health services in my day, Jesse. 
But that's so, where I mean, the issue comes. The diagnosis are much later, and that they should be. Yes, the problem is that is and the child has gone through a school year without having the correct support in place, and that can be challenged as well. So looking forward then to parents who have ADD, who are married to someone who has, they're going to have a child who's going to be an ADD child. How do you prepare those parents for that baby before they have a problem going to school? They have to be diagnosed at a baby age. Is there anything to support those parents at that stage? Just very quickly, just a point of everything. Um, CAMs don't do diagnosis before the age of six. No, I don't mean CAMs. No, I'm just saying. Oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, just saying, preparing. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, get you, you really won't get it before the age of six. What we would always say, um, if it looks like ADHD, walks like ADHD, talks like ADHD, treated like ADHD, especially if one of the parents also has ADHD because it's genetic. And so you're putting in supports. And the talk next week, forgive me for telling you again, is executive function who was delivered by Emma Weaver, who's the early years learning development person at the ADHD Foundation in Liverpool. She knows everything about that question you just asked, probably heard it. Uh, so certainly you can get that question answered next week. But certainly putting in the supports around the structure and the management. Of a young child. As a young child, yeah. yeah. If you think it's ADHD, it probably is ADHD. Yeah, put in the supports there as you can. Sorry. In regard to getting a diagnosis, um, that colour test, you know, the type of cleaning you're doing if you were born with somebody exception. No, generally that one is not part of an official test. Usually what they do is something called rating scales. And um, ADHD is what's called a clinical diagnosis. And so again, if you break your leg, you take an x-ray and you look at the wall, basically. You can't look at a child and say that child has ADHD. You can't see inside that brain. So it's based on what they see as the behaviors, you know. So they have a, what, a rating scale, things like cars, do you know, things like that. As well. So it's basically a long questionnaire. Yeah. So what you need to do is to be able to show that ADHD exists in what's called two out of three environments for children. And so basically what you're looking there is, you know, uh, the first environment is with the clinician, second is usually the school, and the third is at home with the parents. So each of those will fill out the same questionnaire, and uh, the clinician will take a back score, and then it exists out of two or three at a particular level, they'll make the diagnosis of ADHD. It's not what you need to do for adults is show that it existed from the age of 12. Couple of things, and uh, what you can do is, you know, maybe the school reports in the attic. Mary found it difficult to focus in class. And um, this doesn't work for everybody. One suggests is, you know, um, and it can be difficult, you know, can the clinician talk to your parents? And they might say, well, Mary's a bit difficult when she was a child. To a lot of people, that doesn't work. I mean, nothing strange from their parents and not talking to them, but you know, so that can, sort of, it's not a necessity. They just like to be able to show the existence of childhood. But if there is, you know, if you don't have the reports, not everybody has them, uh, parents aren't available, well then they just have to find a different way. They, again, they would use rating scales for adults and adults. This one? That's it. That's the negative back then. Yeah, is it possible for a child who you suspect as a parent uh, of that they have ADHD? To, to carry the, you know, to go through the school day and, and not cause any, like not have any behavioural issues. Um, I've heard of the cold fossil effect where they're, they're like this all day and then when they come home they are presenting with 
a need for Absolutely. Yeah, when you, so you try to mention this earlier, you're absolutely self-pointed on that. So what you find is, you mentioned with children, that they know they have ADHD, and I remember saying they're focusing so hard on paying attention. They know this is a social setting, but it's not the home. Yeah. And I need to keep it together all day. And they keep it together all day. Maybe because the teacher's very strict. Yeah. yeah. And then they come home. Crazy. And then the parent has to get them to do the homework. Yeah, it's incredibly different. Sorry. How do you explain it to you? How do you explain it to the young child? Uh, it's different. I mean, if, um, again, we're a small organization. And for giving information, the Indian Foundation in Liverpool. They're a big organisation. They have loads of great resources on that type of thing. We borrow their resources to be honest. And so again, they have book that's a heavy explained child, ADHD child. And we had a book that was uh, called The Red Dragon. There's three or four different things that they that are put through. And again, just in terms of that, we would recommend that you know for that you will talk to the child about it. And there's a, what we would say uh, to tame it, uh, tame to each. Uh, Sorry, it's a to tame it, you need to name it. Okay, I do it right. That's a great question. The reason it's a great question is because we did a webinar last week um, on transitioning into the level, and I asked that question of the uh, person who was doing the thing. So I know the answer to that. Um, the reason I asked it, forgive me for framing the question. I was talking to the, the presenter, I said, first time I met you was about four years ago. I met you outside the disability office in Trinity, and you had a folder in your arm on some research. And the research was showing that the longer that people or children with ADHD stay in the third level, the more difficult they found because of an increased um, amount of independent learning. And you know, when you go to school, private school, you're in the class one day. Secondary school is still quite structured, but okay, in different classes. When you go to third level, all of a sudden you've got 10 hours. You have to fill in the other 30 yourself. So people you'll find are going to turn up. Again, we find this an awful lot, a lot um, in our support groups, you know, taking six years to do a four-year degree, taking eight years, things like that. So what you find is that that does happen. But again, I asked that question based on the research. That that research in 2013, the newer research is showing that because there's more supports in colleges now than there used to be, so yeah, they're getting through college quicker than they should, than they were before. But things have improved, yes. Yes. And again, just very quickly on that, you know, where we are we in third level? And we've been contacted by every major university um, since last September on trying to put in supports. They're overwhelming colleges and students coming and saying, I think I have ADHD, what support can we do for? They have the supports, but unfortunately they're limited to those who are diagnosed with as well. So, so can I just ask about uh, diagnosis? 
if there is that Coke bottle effect where a child is very uh, quiet and well behaved in class, so um, it mightn't be seen in two settings. Is there anywhere to go from there? It comes in because we've had that, you know, and um, the, the teacher fills out the forms and brilliant child, wonderful child, and the parents go, yeah. <laughs> I have a different picture. And um, obviously, then the clinician makes their own view, so they might get two out of the three that way. But if you don't get the two out of the three that way, um, you're then probably looking at another clinician, to be honest. And um, that could be a challenge, you know, for people that don't have the money, because uh, if you go through the public system, um, and they say, look, uh, sorry, we don't think it's ADHD. They're probably not going to give you a second assessment. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of people then have to go and pay for the second assessment. But, uh, the ladies, right? I know when you were speaking about CAMS and saying that their resources were actually quite overwhelmed and people have a very significant way to have a child diagnosed. But with the adult ADHD, is that is that just me that's noticing that that's quite bad as well? That's quite large, significantly difficult to get psychiatrists. Yes. Oh no. Um, there's 72 CAMS around the country. There's a full service around the country for children. Again, now there is the waitlist size. Uh, there's three hours. Now the good news is, and this is the good news, one of those three clinics is around here. It's based in Sandyford. It only opened uh, sorry, this year, so your GP might know that. Say that wasn't something else. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard that before. 
They just don't have the. They're working off a model that's uh, 30 years out of date, I'm afraid. Thank you. Medication? What's your thoughts on medication? Uh, not a doctor, sorry. I must put that in the very yeah. What we do know about medication is that the research will show that in about 80% of cases it's effective. Yeah, it's what you need to drill down just a little bit into that um, is that, you know, the f there's a range of medications. You can see them in the NICE guidelines. The Asagio for a particular medication, what they do is tritatious, which is they build it up to a particular dose. Diff dose for each individual. And they find it works. If they get to a particular point and say, well, you're not getting any more additional benefit, so we stop there. So what you find is this medication works for you. It might be the first one. But it's not the first one, they try a second one. That doesn't work to try a third one. That doesn't work to try a fourth one. Then they can try them in combination. So there'd be an awful lot of trial and error for either for an adult or for a child to get the right medication. So really when we're talking about, um, it can be talking about 50% because they have to go through that trial and error process. Now I'm not just saying this, but genuinely, I've had loads of parents and adults talk to me saying, I've just gone on the medication. It's life-changing. Before and after. Putting on glasses for the first time. When it works, it really, really works. My son went on it and um, diagnosed in second year in secondary school and it changed his life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I say that's not everybody. Maybe say eighty percent. So one in five doesn't work for them. Uh, which is a lot of people. But you know, when it does work, it can be you know, amazing. There's side effects as well, though. Yes. The appetite suppressant part, but it's a big problem for us. So during the summer holidays, you have to but to try and build yeah. up some weight. Well, again, there, there is um, things you can put in there around, you know, um, working around the uh, thing. There's also going to be another side effect, you know, they can be a little bit, in effect, height, ever so slightly. Yeah. But, you know, you put a baby to one centimetre. Yeah. So the question is, you know, what's the trade-off? Yeah. It's worth it, yeah. yeah. So. I'm looking for support. I, I have a 21 year old living with the last few years mm. he, he, and, and his grandmother, you know. Yes. Well, I so say we have the parent support group. How do I get, how do I? They're online, so if you go on ADHD Ireland. ADHD Ireland, and then it's online. You have it on our events page, you can see it here. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it's on Zoom. I, and, oh, it's on Zoom, yeah. is it? Okay, and it's good, is it? Oh, yeah. no, no, sorry, not to say anything, yes. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Okay. It's excellent, I've done it. Is it? Okay, okay, that's great. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I'm, I've become extremely angry with him, because I think it's a... It's a, it's a cop out, you know. Yes. But that's how I feel about it. Again, just to take an example of the Adam support group, because yeah. we started that, didn't it? And I'm genuinely, because I was doing it, you know, I do it every, every two weeks. In the group I was in, you know, three of them out of the 12 people in the one group said, This is the biggest support in their lives. You know, this was it for them. This is the thing that kept them going. So we have the okay. parents. Okay, that's like good. That. Okay. So, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of dialectical behaviour therapy? Yes, I have heard of it. Oh, and Not an expert in it. it for adults, as yeah. would you think it's a useful thing for someone to consider? Um, in terms of research, probably CBT is probably better for adults with ADHD. Okay. As opposed to DLT. And again, don't quote me on this, I may be a bit popular. 
find it. And DLT was the first version, CEPT was the improved version. Um, and you need, what we would say though is, um, make sure that the uh, clinician knows about ADHD. Because the how it gets applied to someone ADHD is not having applied to someone who's got from the neurotypical. So you look for that experience of applying it to ADHD. What's, what's, I don't see Cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, for similar. Um, dialectical. Dialectical behavioral therapy, where it's kind of like a, really a group therapy where each person takes responsibility for their own behavior within mm -hmm. a group or something and they talk to each other about it. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Yeah, uh, yeah sorry. Uh, that's one of those I'll have to say because I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a support kind of led by psychiatrists. Yeah. What I would say, just as an example, then, what you do find works a lot of people with age is what's called body doubling. And so, this is an online facility a lot of people use, you know, either students in school or adults. You can do anything. <coughs> so, basically, it's, it's all around personal property. So, you go online, you get assigned another person, and you say, I want to paint the room. He says, I want to study my history. And you go off and do that, and you come back after 25 or 25 minutes, and you report back to the other person at the room. So the other parents keep going, you, you keep going at them. And it works for a lot of people with ADHD. So body doubling is probably something that seems to be more recommended in that area. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.